0: Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey.
1: We're delighted to have uh, Ross Lockhart here. Ross uh, and I have known each other, I'm going to say 15 years or so. Uh, Ross grew up in Winnipeg, Are any Winnipeggers out there? There's Yeah, there you go, some people from Winnipeg. Then uh, he went to Emanuel College in Toronto, which I did. I graduated in 87, you did in a little later. <laughs> a, a
2: little bit later, yeah. A bit later. By then, the shrine for John Penland was yes. always, uh, yes. you know, <laughs> had to have someone light on. the candle every
1: day, right. and yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's a long time ago. Uh, then he uh, was ordained and moved to Dryden, Ontario, with his partner Laura. Great spot, Northern Ontario. Uh, then from uh, Dryden to Belleville. Yes. Belleville to Vancouver. Vancouver School, uh, West Vancouver uh, United Church, then to Vancouver School of Theology, which is where I met Ross. We are both on the board of Vancouver School of Theology, and he teaches there, Uh, and we're thrilled that he's here. He has a presentation he presented yesterday on mission, and uh, Andrew and I are going to engage in some conversation with you, and so just as a bit of a a start here. if you had to say in a nutshell, what were you talking about yesterday for people who weren't able to be there? And you're welcome to not look at me, but look at them. Yeah.
2: That's great. Well, thanks, Hillhurst, for having me and for hosting uh, Vancouver School of Theology Professors this month. I know at faculty, when this came up, we were all very
1: excited to, uh, to come, so thank Everybody you. Everybody wants to come to Calgary in January. Absolutely, <laughs>
2: and I think I picked the best weekend to be here. Um, so yesterday, we had a great conversation. I was sharing some of the research uh, that I've just uh, finished and is moving towards publication. It was a five-year study on Christianity in Vancouver, obviously not an exhaustive study, but 14 different sites uh, that I visited. It was an ethnographic study, and so from uh, you know everything from mainline Protestant, neighborhood focused, ethnic specific, multi-site evangelical, Roman Catholic. Uh, Orthodox, parachurch, and, 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 was able to draw some data out to look at some trends uh, of how Christians were living their faith, forming community, but especially for Vancouver, where the number of people who self-identify as Christian is now a minority in the city of Vancouver. To be clear, unlike the reading we're going to get into from First Peter, not a persecuted minority, but a minority. And so that changes the way in which one sees oneself in the broader culture. So I uh, shared some of that and was delighted by the engagement, not only here, but all the folks that joined us online as well. Okay.
0: A, a couple of the words that you used um, yesterday in conversation and invitation were uh, two words that can hold a lot of weight in in uh, different ways for folk in our in our mainline churches, and those words are mission and evangelism. And you are a professor of missiology. Um, I'm wondering if you can give us the Dr. Ross definitions of both mission and evangelism as you as you see them.
2: So good, so good. Yeah, those are two words that at a cocktail party you'll find yourself alone (laughs) in about (laughs) 10 seconds. What do you teach? And then everyone fades away. Exactly. (laughs) It's a little awkward. It's a little awkward. Yeah. So mission, I like to think of the two terms. Um, Mission is, did you all notice that John is wearing golf pants today? They look rather (laughs) snappy. Mission is the golf umbrella. Can you picture The big umbrella. Uh, and then evangelism is the cocktail uh, little umbrella that you get in those (laughs) fancy little drinks. It's the smaller of the two terms. So mission is an umbrella phrase to describe actually first and foremost, not what we do, but what God does. And so the scriptures are clear that God not only creates the world but is moving towards humankind and creatures within the world in relationship. That's where we get this language of call and of covenant and so forth. And so uh, the Bible would say, for example, as uh, God sends Jesus... Jesus and God sent the Spirit, and now the church is sent. So the sense that we are all sent on a mission that God is with us in. So that's the broader of of the terms, and we know how it ends. If you read the book of Revelation, you had Harry here last week. I watched the sermon. He was commenting on teaching Revelation. It ends with this beautiful vision of the world reconciled to God and the healing of the nations. So a mission is moving towards something. That's the big umbrella when it's raining on on the golf course, evangelism is a subset of mission. It's just that little uh, cocktail napkin. Uh, And it is really plainly evangelism is the speech act of communicating faith. Now, evangelism, obviously, and all of the, the variants that come from it, Uh, loaded word, loaded concepts, a lot of people react against, but uh, when you make it plain, it really is about um, kind of what we do here when you have your group conversations. How do you articulate what is core and deep and personal and meaningful for you?
1: So yeah, that's one of the things that I I was listening to uh, yesterday when you were talking about this. It's, you know, it's really hard. In this room, as an example and online, people, uh, we all have a a faith. Mm Uh, or things we hold on to, whether religious or not. We have things that are really important to our values uh, and how we see the world. Why is it so hard for us to talk about what we believe? Yeah, great great
2: question. And I think um, as I do focus group interviews and do a lot of my research, there is something particular in the West now about speaking faith in public spaces. So for example, I'll I'll interview new Canadians uh, who come from different parts of the world, and they'll notice that. They'll notice how in their home countries, um, the church would gather in a public park and have a service and that was fine and so forth. But they notice how as soon as you're out in the wider Canadian context, speaking faith is its fraught, it's, it's problematic. So for mainline Christians in particular... I think we get tongue-tied. Uh, it's what I call a liturgical laryngitis when we get outside of a space like this, right? We're tentative even here to speak faith at times. But once you're out and you are working um, at a bank on a Wednesday morning, that is normally not a space in which you would feel comfortable expressing faith. And yet faith is core, right? So why do we hesitate? I, I think we live, uh, for the most part, with the intention to be respectful of difference of others, Uh, we're uh, fearful of stereotypes of trying to push what we believe onto others. Um, in class, however, so I teach in the area of practical theology and Andrea being one of our grads knows that uh, and so whether it's a specific missions course or just a general practical theology course, I often will give students assignments to go out and to put into practice their faith. I always say it doesn't matter if it flops or it flies, it's what you learn from it and they write it up for me the next week and oftentimes when people report back uh, when they've tried tried sharing their faith or speaking to someone else about faith, they're surprised how open someone is to have a conversation. Here's one example. I'll have the students say, find a friend who's not a Christian, and you can say, look, I got to do this thing for school, so, you know, most people will say yes, (laughs) and sit with them, select three Bible texts, and have them read those out loud with you and ask them their impression of those texts. Now, I don't think maybe once I've had a student say, I asked someone and they said no. Almost always, people will say, yes, they're interested. And then their friends will say, so, like, I think this is what it means. What does it mean to you? And they'll say, it's amazing. I never thought I'd have this conversation. So I think people are more open about talking about faith. But we have a cultural condition that says, that's private. Don't talk about that. I'm glad that that works for you, but don't, don't share any further.
0: We, we hear over and over again when we're in environments like this that the message that we preach or that we read about or that we talk about is a countercultural one, yeah. and I just love this invitation into making ourselves a little uncomfortable yeah. so that we actually embody what that counterculturalism feels like because yes. it's not, it, it it doesn't feel like smooth sailing necessarily. Right. Exactly. But I think one of the things that we talked about yesterday quite a bit was this move from a Christendom society into a post-Christendom society, right. and you gave a really great example as to what that might look like in terms of democracy, which yeah. I think would be really helpful for for, for these folks, and then I have a question.
2: Okay, so good. So, this comes from the fancy term when you finish a PhD, the person who supervises you, ready for it? Dr. Vader. Awesome, (laughs) at least in Europe, which sounds like Darth Vader. So Stefan Pass, uh, who supervised my research, exactly. (laughs) A wonderful professor of mission in Amsterdam. Uh, He's he's offered me this image uh, a number of times and I do find it helpful. He says, if you wanna try and get a sense of what faith was like for people in Western society um, when church and state were yoked together, he said it would be more akin to the way in which we think of democracy in Western societies today. So if we go out briefly because it's cold with CBC or CTV or Global and a camera crew and we stick a microphone in front of people as they hurry along the street in Calgary and we ask them the question, do you believe in democracy? What do you think is gonna happen? You know, nine out of 10 will probably say, what? Yeah, okay, yeah, I believe in democracy. I'd like to think you'd find one anarchist on the streets (laughs) of of Calgary who would say, I don't believe in democracy. Okay, so most people would, fair enough. But then the next question is, uh, did you vote in the last federal election? What do you think would happen then? The numbers would drop, we know they drop. Uh, So maybe five or six out of 10. And then you ask a follow up question and you say, Do you hold formal membership in a registered Canadian political party? Mm-hmm. What happens then? Maybe one, maybe two? And Stefan has said that would be a, a more helpful way to understand Christian faith. During Christendom it's not that everyone was particularly pious but it's more that there was this general floating in the cultural uh, in the culture consensus that people were Christian you had to attend mass once a year during the Middle Ages to, to stay in good standing right and then you had people who were more pious and actively involved and then you had the religious elites the professionals monks and nuns and others who would pray on your behalf and hold that life of faith and so in many ways now, we see that kind of unraveling uh, in a time and a place where it is perfectly socially acceptable, even normal, dare we say, uh, to be a, a good citizen and to be a secular person as well.
0: So, so then as a missiologist, what would the gift of this time and place in, in this post-Christendom state um what what are the gifts of this opportunity that's in front of us
2: yeah great question and i think there are many there are many gifts and i think the gifts include um, uh, the potential for uh, a deeper more real and raw and honest shared life together Um, I see it in congregations that I visit, when uh, cultural conditioning no longer compels people to be part of a faith-based community. Uh, Often, like the invitation that you offer here at Hillhurst, you have to trust that people who are coming now are coming out of a deep desire to connect one with the other and with the divine. And I think, for me personally, that's a far better space to, to live and to serve as a faith leader in than in one that some of us do remember where, um, you know, people would still uh, prize putting a board member or elder on their resume as a way of being, uh, kind of getting one leg up in society and so forth, right? There is very little social prestige left uh, in saying that you're connected with church, which I think is a wonderful uh, gift of this post-Christendom time, where we're looking at forming Christian communities differently.
1: So when you and you talk about forming Christian communities differently, what's what are some of the characteristics of those communities?
2: Yeah, well I think you know I, I appreciate the way that you have your clear values here at Hillhurst. Um, I'm, uh, I study not only established congregations, but also parachurch organizations uh, and house churches. And I'm seeing, at least uh, in the Vancouver area, uh, significant growth in the house church movement, uh, simple church, and so forth. And often, what's at the core of that is longing to be known and to know others. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I shared some of the work, and uh, in Alberta, you'd have your own foundations that would do this kind of work. The Vancouver Foundation in 2012, and then again in 2016, commissioned a significant study uh, of Vancouverites. And by significant, I mean 3,000 people interviewed, 200 agency leaders interviewed, uh, and it's called the Connections and Engagements Report. Uh, And it was startling, the data that came out of that, including just how lonely and isolated people are. Uh, One of the questions was, if you were going away on a holiday, which one of your neighbors would you ask to bring in your mail? And an overwhelming majority of people said, "I, I don't have one person. I could ask, to do that, right? And so what is it that we do here as Christian community? We gather together, we worship God, we care for one another, we take our faith out into the world, as you do every week, uh, encouraging people to live their faith uh, beyond this place. And that sense of being knit together, whether it's in a house church, a congregation, or some other kind of ministry, I think is a gift that people don't find other places.
1: Yeah, I think there, I hear this all the time from... People, friends of mine who don't go to church, that they, uh, they're they not so sure about religion, but they sure miss a, a public place and space where they can talk about meaningful things, important things. You know, there's some people who say, it's not what you say, it's what you do. What do you say to that?
2: It's not what you say, it's what you do. Um, I think that is... Uh, partially true. Um, yesterday I mentioned uh, the threefold from Daryl Guter, who uh, is a mentor of mine, retired uh, Professor Emeritus from Princeton Seminary. Uh, and his uh, definition of witness, as you recall, is threefold. He speaks in terms of being doing and saying witness, so being your character is one way in which you show the world what you believe. I think instinctively we know that to be true. Like if someone's just a jerk, does it really matter what they say or what they believe? They're just a jerk, right? (laughs) Uh, And so how you exist in the world, uh, your character is uh, a a significant form of witness. How you act to your question, the actions you perform is important. Um, But I have to say as a professor of mission, what you say, as well, is, uh, is really important, and, and that's the speech act. Call it evangelism, call it faith-sharing, call it testimony, whatever you'd like. The way in which we articulate what is core, uh, which, again, is part of the reading from First Peter today, is important. Now, whenever I, I am doing congregational resourcing, there is at least one person who will come up and say, That's all very nice, Ross, but, you know, I, I've heard the quote from St. Francis, preach always and when necessary use words. So I don't think it's necessary to use words. Now there's a couple of things with that that's problematic. Number one, Francis never said that. That's attributed <laughs> to St. Francis. That's highly problematic. And you can go on like meme generators and you'll see it like, everywhere on the internet and at the bottom it says St. Francis. He never said that. It's ridiculous. Okay. Do you want to know what he actually said? Yeah. What he actually said was there is no point walking somewhere to preach unless your walking is your preaching hmm. Isn't that better? That's so much better, right? (laughs) So, like, yeah, we should go and share our faith uh, in the workplace, in the home. And by share, again, I don't mean impose, but, you know, John and I were out for dinner last night. We had a great meal. We can tell you about what we had afterwards. I can tell you the dish I had. I can tell the ambiance. I can tell you the cold weather alert, the power grid's going down, emergency alert we got on our phone. I can tell you everything about that. I'd be happy to. I'm not hesitant telling you about dinner. But why is it when it comes to something that's so core and important as our faith, we kind of freeze up, right? So I think it all goes together. I think the false dichotomies of either acting or speaking, we just have to find a way to integrate those.
1: Acting and speaking. So for you personally, when was the last time you feel you did what you invite students to do? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so I try. uh, So in the evangelism class I teach, they're called e-challenges each week. uh, In the intro to practical theology, they're weekly assignments. And I engage in them as well. And then I report back on my own experiences. So So, what was the
1: last one you reported on?
2: Yeah, so I'm trying to think near the end of term. Uh, It would be, uh, well there was the one that I gave the example of, uh, around sharing uh, scripture uh, with others. Um, one was, um, uh, there was one that you had to go out. No, 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 you. Just me, personally. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you. Well, I think, yeah, so I think for me, um, and maybe for clergy, uh, it comes as an easier thing for us to be in faith conversations. Um, uh, latest one was with my neighbor. Just uh, he was helping me fix some stuff around the house, and he said, "So you're like a minister or something? So <laughs> what's that about?" And we started having a great conversation about faith, and community, and belonging. I just I find myself regularly in conversations, and I'm also listening. I mean, one of the things that before I speak, I have to say, uh, I love. Eavesdropping. I'm shameless in my eavesdropping on conversations. So I also like to listen to what people are talking about to get a sense of of how I respond. I gave you the example yesterday that every now and then you'll get into these conversations, and someone will say, "Well, I don't believe in God." And as I shared yesterday, uh, if I'm feeling brave, I will respond, "Tell me about the God you don't believe in," and that opens up an amazing space, and nine times out of ten, by the time the person is finished speaking, I can genuinely say, yeah, I don't believe in that God either. There's a lot of stones to clear out of the field when it comes to faith talk. Um, a lot of misconceptions, uh, a lot of uh, difficult experiences people have had with, with uh, the concept of God and the life of faith. Um, so, I, I personally just uh, see God at work uh, everywhere. My basic assumption is that any human being I bump into, God is already at work in their life and actually already having a conversation with that person whether they know it or not. So sometimes I think maybe God is using me to hear something new from this person or to share something with them.
1: Yeah, so it's speaking and listening in, in that place. And we're also living in a time in the world where we can see uh, there's a, the polarization is huge. Yeah. How do we build the middle uh, ground where we come together to actually hear before we speak yeah. uh, is, is a real challenge. Well, and we have our uh,
2: faith-based social media expert here in Andrea Irwin, but I do worry at times whether social media helps or hinders uh, the listening and, and the hearing. Uh, I think, I think it's, it's even more challenging today. Um, to find that place of uh, consensus or even just a shared space to listen, like to really listen to one another. Um, I don't know if it's coming out of pandemic and everything. I just find uh, so many conversations are quickly polarized and I find that troubling.
1: Okay, the last question comes from John Glennie, who's from, was here yesterday. He emailed me last night. There's 10 questions. I got to pick one. He said, okay, what's the ultimate mission of the church? What's the church for? Yeah,
2: so uh, that's a great question. And so I would say the ultimate mission of the church is to participate in the mission of God and the mission of God as laid out in Scripture is a covenant-based healing of the nations, a healing of the world, reconciliation. Um, you were working with 1 Peter 3 today, which is a beautiful text about always being able, ready to share the hope that's within you. But another one comes from 2 Corinthians that simply speaks about that God is active in the world, reconciling the world in Jesus Christ, and that we are to do that work on God's behalf as God's ambassadors. So, um, a friend of mine who works for the federal government and the foreign service, Uh, And uh, is an ambassador has said to me uh, what's interesting about being an ambassador is that you don't get to make stuff up And I kind of laughed when he said that you know, like if he's representing Canada overseas He can't say the Canadian policy now is we don't believe in democracy, right? You just can't you can't do stuff like that and he said this line that stuck with me He said as an ambassador You carry out the mandate of the government that you serve Mm -hmm. and so if we're ambassadors of Christ Scripture gives us a sense that the mission that God is on is a mission of reconciliation. And so we are to be agents of that reconciliation in multiple forms as we participate with God. But it's God's mission. I mean, otherwise it's exhausting. I mean, I'm exhausted most days, but the thought of like, you know, the the fate of the world on our shoulders, does that not exhaust you? It exhausts me. But it's God's mission. God is doing this work, and we're being invited to partner with God in that.
1: Okay. I want to thank you for being with us yesterday, being with us today, and uh, sharing with our congregation some of your passion and your interest and invitation for us uh, to consider what we are passionate about and how we live that in the world.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.